0: And we had no, no jobs coming in, no, no new client process coming in. And so I had to tell them, I was like, listen, you guys can stay, but I can't pay you, uh, or I can help you go get jobs. And they were like, cool.
1: Do you ever feel like you're stuck in the rat race deep inside? You know that you're capable of so much more. You dream of breaking the chains of your nine to five and starting your own business, but how can you do it? That's the big question. This podcast is here to give you the answers. Join me for a behind-the-scenes view of the ups and downs as I build my online business from scratch. My name is Paxton Hare, and welcome to Escape 925. Evan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been uh, eager to speak with you because I know that you are very similar to me with our backgrounds. We're both software developers, and uh, you've done something cool, which is you've started your own software development agency consulting agency called fishhook yeah and yeah i did that about 10 years ago that's awesome and before that i think you were you were at apple right
0: i was yeah so i i actually got out of college came home didn't know what i wanted to be when i grew up and was living in my parents basement and was like you know that's not gonna work so i like, get out there get a job you know figure it out and so i got a job at the apple store um here in atlanta and, um, I quickly kind of like moved through all the different roles at the Apple store and, you know, kind of saw, saw a lay of the land and, um, I got to be a store manager and was like, okay, great. Like now that I'm like somebody important in the Apple world, like I'll go get a job like out in Cupertino, right? Like I'll, I'll take my, like, you know, Apple credentials. So I, you know, applied for some jobs out there and they're like, yeah, that's really cute. Uh, no, and I was <laughs> like, but like. I'm like legit guys like I like totally know what I'm doing you know 23 year old Evan saying this (laughs) so I quickly figured out that like big giant corporations not for me you know like just not for me too much like overhead too much all this all this other stuff and so after Apple I went and got a job at a um, data recovery company here in Atlanta Mm -hmm. you know like full on bunny suits, clean rooms, oh, taking wow. hard drives apart, you know, like cool, like super cool, high tech IT stuff. And I went in for my interview and I was like, yes, like killed it, crushed it. This is going to be great. You know, like totally name brand, you know, um, data data recovery center. And I get there and they're like, yeah, you're, you're hired. Um, you know, show, show up at this time, you know, come on in. And so came in and, you know, they hand you your employee badge and I'm like, all right, great. Like, awesome. And it's like employee number two. What? And I was like, I was like, what? What? <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and they're like, we're so glad you're here. We have so much work. Like, can you please start getting to work? <laughs> and so, like, that was my, like, that was like opening my eyes to what being an entrepreneur was all about. You know, like, I was like, this guy started this thing, it's just him. And like, man, any idiot can be their own boss and can run their own company. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm any idiot. Like Perfect. Like this is going to work out for me.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. So then after the clean room, did you then go ahead to start the uh, the consultancy?
0: I sure did. Yeah. So I, I spent a couple of years there and kind of like really learned the ropes of like, okay, how do we do like balance sheets and P and L reports and how do we do marketing and sales and you know, all this stuff that like goes alongside being a business owner. And so like, it was great because it was kind of like, I got a crash course and an internship and mm-hmm. in, like what it was to, what it is to run a small business. And so, uh, after, like I said, after, after a couple of years, I pulled the trigger and was like, all right, I'm going to go do my own thing. And that was right around 2010 or so. And so um, that was when the iPad was coming out. And so I bought my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. I bought her an iPad and she was like, this is the most amazing computer I've ever had. Like she's, this is, this is the, the best computer I've ever had. Um, and so I sat down, I was a computer science minor in college and was like, okay, like I'm going to put my computer science skills to work. Like I'm going to read this big, thick, you know, like how to program for the iPad book, how to program for iPhone book it had been out for two years. And, um, and so that's how I like got things started. So I sat nights and weekends, just read through this book, then like raised my hand to like my, my group of friends and was like, Hey, I'm making iPad apps, iPhone apps. Does anybody, you know, know of anybody that runs a business that wants one? And everybody was like, you know, fistfuls of cash. Like, is this enough money for one? Like, make me one. <laughs> And so, um, so yeah, that's, I, so I took my first client, I quit my, I quit the job at the data recovery center and have not looked back since.
1: Wow. So the first client was enough that it could get you over the hump and, and move forward with your own business.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was, also, I was also broke at the time, right? Okay. So I was like, you know, 26 years <laughs> old and you know, it was like, if, if I'm making, you know, 30,000 a year, I was like, okay, that's enough for beer and toilet paper. Like Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> ramen noodles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Now, uh, do you, Am I correct that you have a business partner in this
0: thing? I do. Yeah. So about three years in, um, I I hired somebody and was um, that I knew from working at Apple, um, and he and I just really hit it off, you know. And so it it like everything was like we were just synced up on everything and and every project that we worked on together, like we were just like really collaborative and really great. And he's been with me for the past seven years. And so you know, at some point along the journey, I said like. Hey man, you you've got to you've got to join me. Like it's it's just a like you just have to be business partners. Like let's get married for real, you know. Kind of thing. So <laughs> in 2017, um, we pulled the trigger on that, and so since then he's been um, a, a business partner with me and partial owner in the company.
1: Cool. Now I know you through the world, the wonderful world of uh, emoji apps, and I think mm-hmm. we met. I don't even remember what year it was, man. But we we met because you had created your chart-topping emoji app called Suemoji, and
0: mm-hmm. then
1: I followed kind of in your footsteps a little bit later with my Wiener emoji app. And uh, we we kind of met through uh, Carter Thomas and his Blue Cloud group that uh, mm-hmm. was you know teaching people how to make apps and make money doing that. So tell me a little bit about how you got into that space.
0: Yeah. So at that point, right, this was 2016 because that was an Olympic year, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that was six years into running my own agency. I had had a ton of clients, right? I had seen, you know, a bunch of different, you know, stuff work, stuff not work. And all the projects that I was working on were pretty big projects. I mean, like they were taking, you know, like three, six, nine months to develop something for a company and um, I always looked at that and said like, gosh, like that seems so risky to do like a huge project like that. How, like, how would I ever know like that something like that's going to work? And so as you said, through this community of, of app developers and entrepreneurs, um, it, it kind of was discovered that there was an opportunity to make these really hyper specific niche apps that were all emojis and digital stickers. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like this is so perfect because the scope of the project is not infinite, right? Like it's, it's just super, super small. Like, like you can't get, like, you can't pile on a bunch of features, which I think is something, you know, is is a problem that like, once you start thinking of what the product can be, like it morphs and like, it's a, it's a to-do list. No, it's a to-do list that launches, you know, space shuttles into outer space. (laughs) And so with these emoji apps, it was like, you were done. Like you just, had to stop coding and then had to start doing like the marketing piece of it and the ASO piece of the app store optimization piece of it and the analytics, you know, and the advertising and all this other stuff. And so that looked really attractive to us, you know, as far as like, okay, how can we build something? How can we build an asset that we own? How can we start, you know, like learning about these other things that are you know, really important, you know, to kind of break away from just client work every day.
1: That's awesome. And, uh, you you did get to the top charts right i'm pretty sure you got to the top 10 or so
0: oh yeah yeah we yeah. we um we cleared i think we cleared number 3 i think that was as high as we got
1: that's awesome i think my highest was was 9 so yeah that, that's great yeah it's uh yeah we
0: we figured out we figured out how to we figured ahead. out how to use facebook ads to um like get people from facebook over into the app um and that was i mean that was crazy i mean that was obviously you know like i said 2016 so facebook didn't have all of the cambridge analytica stuff like mm-hmm. you know i mean every it's always it's always shifting right like i'm sure yeah. if you talk to somebody in the early 2000s about what they could do on google it's probably a similar story
1: oh yeah yeah i've i've got a buddy who uh who used to do uh, what he calls click farming where they would just throw up these websites and it's just it's like clickbait kind of stuff where people would get on there and you would uh make money just from people clicking on stuff i mean it was yeah you know some insane stuff and i think you and I kind of hit that that app um, emoji thing at just the right moment for like the perfect storm because you know now the the, the cost to, to advertise has gone up they like you said the Cambridge analytica stuff all that bad you know nonsense has happened and um you know we're i don't know i don't I just i don't think app Apple kind of cracked down on those apps I think it just it was just perfect timing
0: yeah, it was it was definitely a perfect storm you know and there are still plenty of opportunities like that and You know, the other side of it is, is once you look at those opportunities or once you look at those timings, I think the thing that I learned from that experience was that as long as you are plugged into a group, that there's an opportunity to start to like pull out an audience from that group, if Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Right. So like, you know, so this this app that I made was targeted specifically towards swimmers. And so if I had, you know, created a website or created, you know, like some other, you know, supporting assets around that, then I could have turned that opportunity into, you know, a really big, I don't know, you know, something else, right? Like, like I can't even think of it off the top of my head of of what it could be, but I had thousands of downloads. I had thousands of people telling me like, this is awesome. This is great. You know, kind of thing. I just, (laughs) just needed to continue to like serve that group of people,
1: you know? Right. Yeah, my my, my audience wasn't quite as awesome. They were like mostly like (laughs) um, older women who didn't understand technology and a lot of them were downloading the app just because they saw wiener dogs and they had no clue what it even did or why they wanted it. They just bought it. And then of course they would send me hateful emails afterward about, you know, why why does this thing this thing sucks or what is this thing? What do I even do with it? (laughs) Like you you literally just paid money for something, you have no clue what it is. (laughs) Which is pretty awesome. Let's go back to your consultancy for a minute and talk about how, how that looks or what does that look like right now? Are you, are you just doing contract work where you'll just get a contract with someone and then make an app for them? Is it, is that pretty much what you guys do?
0: Yeah. So the consultancy right now is, um, it's, it's a, an opportunity for us to work with, um, small to mid sized businesses that are established, you know, so they've already got something and they've, they're probably not a tech company. And we're coming in and t- giving them an opportunity to create a mobile application that increases the lifetime value of their current customers. And so some of that is we're going and looking for new new clients that kind of fit that profile. Some of it is, a lot of it is word of mouth. I, f- I feel like that's how a lot of the agency world works is word of yeah. mouth. Um, and then, you know, some of it is just like, You know, surprises that that fall out of the sky where you're like, ah, I'm so glad that I did that work, you know, four years ago because that person moved to a new company and that new company, you know, just kind of like bouncing around kind of stuff. And so, Mm um, that's that's kind of that's kind of the shtick, and it's all custom. It's all you know, like, what do you want, and let's figure it out, and let's you know, because some, I mean, oftentimes I'll talk to these companies and they'll be like, yeah, this is what we want, this is what we want, and it's really easy for me to come in because I'm not, I, I don't have a dog in the fight you know? Mm-hmm. And so they'll say like, you know, the CEO will bring me in and they'll be like, Hey, can you, can you just tell us if this is viable? You know? And i will be like, yeah, this is totally viable, but it's going to be a million dollars to build, you know? And they're like, okay, cool. What's the, you know, what's the $50,000 version of this look like? And I'm like, okay, the $50,000 is not so designy and it doesn't have as many features. And
1: you know, then the CEO is like, okay, cool. See, I didn't have to deliver the bad news. Evan did it for me. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> what do these apps look like that you're, you're, delivering to clients. Is it things like, for example, like if I had a limo business that you'd have the booking app or something like that?
0: Yeah. So, so these apps, like I said, these businesses that I tend to work with, they're already established. So they're maybe like five to 10 years old. They're making, um, money. They have, they have a customer base and they're looking for some way to increase the value to their customers. Right. So there's they're looking at they're looking at things like um like membership portals, right? Where it's, hey, we want, you know, we don't want to do something on the web because our our people, you know, our members are always mobile or they're executives or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or our our users are teachers in classrooms. And so we want to make sure that, you know, they have access to, you know, mobile assessment tools, you know, kind of thing. Or our our primary users are business travelers that, you know, got bumped off of a flight and they need to book a hotel, you know, really quickly kind of thing. And so That's like a-, a lot of that is like, like I said, a stat- like we have an established group of people. We're just trying to make stuff faster for them. We're just trying to make it easier, quicker, smoother, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get a lot of really interesting projects that um, wind up being like a like a Trojan horse for something else within the organization. So like I said, you know the like the CEO or the product person will come in and then the the chief operating officer or the chief financial officer will pull me aside and be like, "Hey, we have this this other thing and it'd be really great if you know, you could make our membership site require that our team is putting the data into the database the right way." You know, and like you really wouldn't think of that as being like part of the app development process. But it really does come down to being like, oh, okay, well, I, I can totally blame like, oh, sorry guys, like we have to have a first name and a last name blank in order to, you know, get it into the app correctly. And people are like, oh, okay, cool,
1: that's so just how apps are made. They're using your external list to fix their broken infrastructure. That's, that's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's
0: it's it's not just like
1: not just like hard
0: infrastructure too. It's just process infrastructure. Right. <laughs> we we worked with a company. We we worked with. i mean, my example is true. We worked with a company where they had hired somebody whose only job was to make sure that the bios for their members was completely accurate and correct. And this is like a, this is like a 50 person organization. That's like, I asked the question, I said, why does this person, why is this person the gatekeeper for everyone's bio, like all of the members bios when like you could just distribute that and just make sure that everybody enters in the bios correctly in the, in the first place. And they were like, yeah, can we do that? Can we make the app force? <laughs> Unfortunately, the person that was like the gatekeeper of the bios got fired after the app went live.
1: Uh, hopefully they're not listening because they're probably polishing <laughs> off their gun right now. <laughs>
0: they're like, oh, that's why I lost my job. I'm coming for you, Evan. <laughs> I knew I was competent.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> now, when these companies come to you, are they? it sounds like they're typically pre-sold in the fact that they need an app to do something and that you don't have to do much convincing there.
0: Yeah, they are. I mean they 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 they're problem aware and they're solution aware, right? If you're thinking about like where they are in like a, you know, a, like a steps process. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how big of a project they want. Um which is kind of crazy, right? Like if you're doing like a, you know, home renovation project, like you kind of know what your budget is, right? You're like you're like you don't just come to a, a general contractor and be like, "Yeah, I'd, I'd like a I don't know, may, maybe a maybe a kitchen, maybe a bathroom.
1: I, I don't know." Right? What like, is the fact is it that they don't know what things cost it. And so that they know kind of what they want in their head as far as features, but they just don't have any clue what the cost is. So that they come to you with like a million dollar idea that they only have budget for 50,000 or do they just legitimately not know what their budget is?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think many of them don't have a strong, many of them don't know what the budget is to begin with because Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, they, they could say like, okay, cool. I want to do it for 50,000. And then if I really press them and I'm like, is this is this absolutely a feature that you want? They're like, yes. And I'm like, okay, then this, is gonna, this is gonna move us from, you know, 100,000 to, to 200,000 territory. They're like, great, do it. And so many of them know what the result is that they want, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, right? Yeah. They're like, I don't care what the price tag is, as long as it's gonna make these people have this many more interactions with my company. And that's how this, and this is the kind of value that that's gonna create for me then they can, I mean, they can almost always justify what the price is, but it's still a little bit bananas to me that they're like throwing everything to the wall and being like, can we build all of this? And like, (laughs) I feel feel like my like best trust building like opportunity there is to be like, we can, but you shouldn't. Yeah. And it's kind of like this Jedi mind trick that they're like, wow, Evan's like a really like straight shooter, honest kind of guy. And I'm like, yeah, but like, maybe we'll do it later.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll come back to that one after we've done the the first step, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, you, what's your day to day look like? Are you are you coding mostly? Are are you doing this business development kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, so day to day is pretty rough. Um, it's it, it's all the above. So my marketing is not so great. I'm not a super great marketer, so I don't have a blog. I think if if you go to my website, it's uh, maybe a business card would look better than my website. <laughs> um, and so a lot of what I do is. Uh, networking, talking to people, striking up conversations, like looking for those types of people that like are like a good fit or looking for other people that can introduce me to those good fit people, you know, so that's um, lawyers, accountants, you know, investment finance, you know, just like those kinds of people that have that, you know, that type of of personality, like gravitating to them, you know, mm-hmm. where their, where their client list is already like, people that I want to do business with. And if they can make the introduction, it makes them look good. Right. Um, so I do, I would say probably 50% of my time is, is doing that. Um, I do have a business partner of uh, the large majority of his time is coding and figuring out like technical challenges, technical processes. And then the other side of it is probably account management for me. So I would, I would say 30% of my time is, is account management and making sure that the clients that I have are, happy, taken care of, that we're kind of pushing that account forward and saying, like, well, what about this option? Or Apple's doing this? Or Android's doing this? Or, you know, just kind of letting them know, you know, what's what's possible. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. So I I, I spend probably a day, day and a half in Xcode, which is the um, app development tool for iOS and um, or uh, in uh, Android Studio.
1: And what's been your biggest challenge in running the consultancy?
0: Yeah. So it's an interesting one. Um, so 2016, I figure out that if I can find like a really like small niche group of people that, um, it's a lot easier to market to them. It's a lot easier to connect with them. It's a lot easier to find them. And so in 2017, I took that idea forward with my consultancy and was like, all right, well, if it works for, you know, for making an app, making an emoji app, then it's definitely going to work for my agency. And so I, um, I think I I changed the headlines on my website. I changed everything. It was like, we're doing mobile apps for commercial real estate. Um, that's, you know, just kind of where I landed. That was something that was interesting to me. Um, and so I was like, we're going all in and I spent, God, I don't know millions of hours. It feels like on the phone, talking to different, um, uh, commercial real estate people striking up conversations with them, et cetera. And it was, Hey, you know, like this is really interesting. Do you want a mobile app? Hey, do you want a mobile app? Do you want a mobile app? And just trying to have that conversation with them about, you know, lifetime value and and increasing value of customers and all this kind of stuff. And everybody in that industry was like, nah, we're good. Like we're allergic to technology. Like, no (laughs) thanks. And so that was that was one of those kind of like eye-opening experiences where I had just come off this high of like making a mobile app that went did really well in the app store. And I totally blew it with. Trying to, do the, trying to take those skills and that knowledge and transferring it across to something else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you know, it's just like, oh, gosh, like, wow, like, I didn't think that I would get, you know, screwed up that badly. And so doing mm-hmm. that totally screwed up my pipeline, right? Like the things that I had done, you know, the seven years prior were all like starting to crumble as I was like really pushing hard on wanting to make this thing work. And, um, and it's, you know, 2018, 2019 have been rebuilding years of like, okay, like, let's just, you know, get back out there. Let's do what we were doing before. Let's just, you know, kiss babies and shake hands and talk to the people that we think we need to talk to. And so at the end of 2019, like things were starting to go up and to the right. And then now here we are in in 2020 where it's like, yeah, does anybody want a freelance developer and agency? It's like, no, we want to not spend money right
1: now. Oh, geez. Uh, is the COVID hitting you pretty hard right now?
0: No, right now we have some really great um, clients that are pretty resi- like pretty much uninterrupted by um, what's going on, and so um, we we've weathered the storm pretty well right now. Um, it's just that any conversations that were like in flight have all frozen. You know, like I had had a couple. I had a couple of projects that were like okay, like we're ready to go, like end of May. And then you know that was March, and so then all throughout April, I'm like, "Hey, I know things have changed. I know priorities have changed. Like, what's up?" And they're just like, "Yeah, we're just going to ghost you. Like, we're just not going to answer your emails." Kind of
1: So do you do you see that this is going to recover in any way?
0: Yeah. So I think I think what's unique or what's interesting about agency work is that it's a bit of a like trailing indicator, right? So it I, my expectation is that um, if everybody goes into lockdown, you know, last week, it'll be a little bit of time since everything is already like budget approved for me until either the end of the month, the end of the quarter, the end of the year, and then they'll reassess, right? And so mm-hmm. it may be that next quarter, which we just started, like I'm not gonna be getting a bunch of re-ups. You know, it may be a situation that, you know, people are just like, okay, cool, like I know we had a whole roadmap planned, like we'll revisit this in 2021. And so um, part of me is kind of like, you know, okay, well, I'm going to keep the sales and marketing stuff going. I'm going to I'm going to try to keep my pipeline going. Um But what if things like actually rebound, you know, in 2020, and people are like ready to start spending money and start taking on these projects again, like, I'm obviously going to reach back out to them. But like, crap, am I going to have to hire? Like, how am I going to do all the fulfillment? Like, that's, that's where my mind starts, starts yeah. spinning. And I think that that's probably unique to entrepreneurs, because I think we tend to be pretty like, positive and optimistic about things where it's like, I'm going to need to hire people, you know, as opposed to everybody else. It's like, what are you talking about? Like the world is burning. Like,
1: are you crazy? And then what's been the biggest adjustment you've had to make with working for yourself versus someone else? Yeah.
0: Um, I think the, so I have, I have a pretty big appetite for risk um and i think that if i think back on my time at apple i think that's what really bothered me is that when i was at apple i would point out like this is stupid why are we doing it this way you know and like some of that is just punk ass you know 21 23 year old you know kid that shouldn't be like telling a you know fortune 1 company what to do right But some of that is also just like, I am totally fine being like, uh, yeah, let's, let's make an emoji app and let's, you know, let's write a check to Facebook for $20,000 worth of ads and let's see what happens. You know? (laughs) Um, I mean, shit, I started my own company, right? Like I have some appetite for risk. So I think that having that appetite for risk needs to be put in check. And I think that that's probably my biggest challenge is that there are times when I'm like, Uh, let's go all in. Like, let's focus on this. Let's let's push the chips in and let's make it happen. And I think that, you know, in 2017, 2018, when I really started pushing hard on this idea of like, we're just going to build mobile apps for one industry. That's a good example of that, right? That was risky. Mm -hmm. That seemed like it was going to work. I had all the information or I thought I had all the information to make that work. And I, I pushed really hard. I burnt down a bunch of runway on it and it didn't work, you know? And so like, man, if, if you'd had a boss, like they would have at some point at some stand up, right? They would have been like, dude, stop, like, you're not gonna make it work, you know? And so like having a voice of reason, I mean, that's, again, why I have a, a great business partner, because he, he tends to be the brakes and I tend to be the gas. Um, But even still, right? Like, it's it's super easy to just be like, we're going, we're go, 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 go. Yeah. Thing.
1: Well, when did you make that or when or how did you make that decision? to give up on the commercial real estate thing.
0: Yeah. Um, it was a pretty painful decision. So, um, like I said, I, I, I'm, i pushed the whole team in that direction. So I, at, th- at that time I had, uh, there was five of us and, um, we had just finished out an engagement with a pretty big client that we'd had for about four years, maybe five years. And so, Um, I told told the team, I said, Hey, listen, this is what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go do this. We have these other projects that are starting to dwindle down. And by the time those projects dwindle down, I'm going to be ready to go with some like commercial real estate projects. And they're like, okay, cool, whatever. And that like that window came and left and everybody was like hanging out waiting. And like, I hadn't fired anybody. I hadn't let anybody go. I hadn't said, I was just like, no, like it's going to work guys. Like just hang in there. You know, like build another emoji app or like, you know, like take some time to learn, you know, like a new technology or something. Like I I wasn't going to let these guys go. These guys had, had, you know, taken a, you know, they they had been there for a a large part of it. And it wasn't until, um, I mean, almost Thanksgiving of 18 that the money was gone, right? Like any runway that we had was totally evaporated and we had no, no jobs coming in, no, no new client process coming in. And so I had to tell them, I was like, listen, you guys can stay, but I can't pay you, uh, or I can help you go get jobs. And they were like, cool, uh, help us go get jobs. And so at that point, like the team went to nothing, went to zero. It was just me and the business, my business partner. And that's when I was like, okay, this is not working. Like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to like, I'm going to have to like, you know, hat, hat in hand, like go back to doing things the way, the way that we were doing it and, Mm -hmm. you know, and go from there.
1: So the, this team that you had. How long did it take you to grow that team before you had to let, let them go?
0: <laughs> Those eight years prior.
1: <laughs> yeah, is is it tough to hire good developers?
0: Yeah, so I actually took a pretty a, a pretty um, risky and expensive approach to it that um, that really worked out well for me, but I'm not sure that I would totally recommend it. So I hired. I hired for personality types, and I hired for people that were really interested in being a software developer. And so I told them, I said, "Hey, if you can, if you can, you know, read through these these two books, the same books that I worked through myself. I'm happy to coach you. I'm happy to tutor you. I'm happy to make myself available. You have to set the schedule. You have to be self motivated. And a little bit of this is just personality fit, right? Like I've never had an office. My team has always been remote. You know, like." and so if if these people can't sit and get the work done themselves in their own you know starbucks and coffee shops and co-working spots and wherever they're going to go and do it then they're definitely never going to be able to work for work for me and for my organization. And so you know after a thousand pages of programming, you know dry programming computer books, then I would offer them an internship, they would come and work for me for three to six months, we would see if it was like a good culture fit, we would see if they were okay being client facing. And then it was just like, you know, a, um, just a mentorship from that point. And so, you know, I got super technical people, but um, they weren't programmers. So some, some of them were musicians, some of them were mathematicians, one of them was a bar certified, you know, like, just all over the place, group of people that Prove that they were smart. Prove that they wanted to get the work done, Um, and so had a good time. I mean, but like I said, building that team took forever. You know, because you you you're not even getting a junior dev; you're getting a no dev, and having to
1: to work them up. Yeah, you're creating devs. It's interesting. What what made you decide to target people that didn't have programming knowledge but wanted to learn? Um,
0: because mm, I did that because I wanted to work with people that I liked. And mm-hmm. like that I like clicked with and mm-hmm. that they saw the world kind of the same way that I saw the world. As far as like, okay, like we want to go like make ch- like we want to go make an impact at organizations. You know, like when different businesses hire us, like we don't want to just like fill out the Jira tickets and be done with it. Like we wanna like learn about their business, we're curious, like there's a whole bunch of different, you know, pro personality stuff that I was just like, I'd rather work with these people than you know, a bunch of super, super smart neck beards that are just like pretty difficult to be around, honestly. You know? Yeah.
1: Yep. And when you talked about personality, were you doing anything formal around personality like Myers Briggs typing or anything like that? Or is it yeah?
0: So I, I wasn't when I started. Um I, I really wasn't when when I started. I I um I was just kind of going on gut feel. But then I found when I, um, when I took on my business partner, I found this assessment tool called the Caliper Assessment. And um, I asked everybody in the team to take it. And everybody was like, What are we doing? Like, this is stupid. Like, I already know who I am. You already know who I am. Like, we worked together for forever. And it was great because it helped all of us understand the shit that annoyed us about each other. If uh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes perfect sense
0: you know, and so like, like on the, you know, like one of the things that was like, Evan is probably not somebody who gives out a lot of like gold stars. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, people don't need gold stars. Like, you know, the (laughs) person's telling me this and I'm like, who needs a gold star? And like everybody (laughs) on the team's like, I would like a gold star from you every now and again. And I was like, oh shit. Like I should probably do a better job at that. And so just being made aware of those things and being made aware of like, who on the team is better at X and who on the team is better than Y and like how the puzzle pieces fit together. Mm -hmm. I'm never going back. Anybody else that I bring on the team will definitely go through that process as like, you know, hokey pokey. And you know, like whatever it may be, like it, it's probably not scientific, right? It's probably pseudoscience, but it still is helpful from the standpoint of like, okay, these are tools that I didn't, didn't have. This is not vocabulary that I have. This is really helpful for somebody else to, say like, Hey, think about it this way, or, Hey, this person may be a good fit, or this person's not going to really respond to this style of, you know, management or motivation or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, my, my wife has a master's in psychology, so we talk about personality typing a lot. I'm just curious, do you know what your Myers-Briggs type is? Um, I, not off the top of my head. I think it's INTJ, I think. Yeah, that's probably right. Most develop software developers, I think are, Uh, I also am an INTJ. Um, it's it's interesting because uh, some people I've talked to will say, you know, that it's, it's all nonsense or whatever. It's too too vague to whatever. But we find that it definitely speaks to who we are as people. I mean, when you, when you look at your personality profile, you're like, it's not all, everything is not all me. But a lot of that stuff is. Like the INTJ, for example, is pretty much a human robot, which describes me to a T. And yeah, it's about, totally. You know, it's like... Uh an, an interesting thing. And I think that it is valuable that you're using it in your company because it's uh it helps you understand people. And my wife is uh is currently working as a PTO president at our school and she's wanting to get everyone to, that works there to to take these tests so they can, you know, better uh collaborate, I guess, with you know, because there are individuals like what my wife is an introvert as well, and some of the ladies are extroverts, and it's like if if everyone can have a better understanding of how that you know, how we relate as people. I think it just mm-hmm. makes life better. It really
0: does. And, you know, I, I think that for, when my team went through the process and took it, it gave us a common language to talk to, right. And be like, mm-hmm. Hey, listen, like I'm having a hard time displaying my empathy, but I'm curious about this. Right. And so people like, Oh, he's a this and a this like, got it. Okay. Like, let me like, and so like you just kind of start having this like ability to to rise above your either your best traits that you're like leaning too heavily on or your mm-hmm. worst traits that you can't like ever bring out you know what i mean
1: yeah oh yeah definitely that's cool though i'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because this, this personality thing it, it's something i'd like to talk more about with people um i just never quite get the opportunity it doesn't quite come up in conversations so that, that's right sure, awesome. yeah all right Sorry, I'm just reading my questions. One of the things I'm trying to work on is not using so much of the filler words because mm. I've been listening to my own podcasts and it's like, um, um blah, blah, just, just nonsense out of my mouth. And in, I think, you know, it's better just to say, you know what, I'm just gonna be quiet for a minute and then I'm going to edit out any absurd silence that I have, but otherwise. That's also,
0: that's also a great um, tactic when you're dealing in sales conversations. Have you, have you ever had to do, have you ever had to be in those situations?
1: where were you use silence to your advantage?
0: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like as software developers, we are more or less people pleasers, mm-hmm. right? And so like, if somebody doesn't like, if the lights don't come on for somebody, like we start to explain it again. Right. And yep. we start to be like, Hey, so like, maybe I said it in a way that like, it just like, it was too technical or it didn't, or it didn't connect or whatever. And yep. sometimes you just, you just said shit and people are like, uh, I'm reacting and like dying a little bit inside or whatever. And so like, I have found that when I'm having a sales conversation with somebody that I will have to mentally remind myself, I will like, just like a mental note to myself, be like, say, say what the thing is and then be quiet and let them be the one to ask questions. Don't like launch and like, don't try to read them as far mm-hmm. as like, oh, they didn't understand it. Let me try again, game kind of thing.
1: Yeah that's brilliant because you know one of the uh one of the traits of being an INTJ is that you um you have this super elevated intuition about social social situations even though you aren't comfortable in a lot of social situations you're like your brain is on like just full processing of all the everything every possible variable like wait why do they move their mouth like that what are they doing like it's just like it's like The opposite of autism. You're like just hyper aware of everything. And I find myself, like if I'm in a social situation, it's so exhausting because I am just reading everything everyone's doing and like, oh, does that mean that that person doesn't like me? Does that mean that that person thought that what I said was wrong? And so like your point, uh, you you would just say, well, gosh, clearly they didn't understand what I said. Let me repeat it again for their benefit. Yeah, it's a great great point to just stop and shut your face (laughs) and then let them say something. And uh, don't fall on that base nature to over the explain the hell out of stuff,
0: but it it does it feels so uncomfortable to just like you know okay i'm I'm just gonna be quiet,
1: yeah, it's so weird, yeah, well you know, and as a as a person doing a podcast, when I'm interviewing a guest, oftentimes and, and you know we can see each other right because that we're doing the video zoom, and almost every single one of these that I've done has been video. there's been a few exceptions, but when I'm sitting here, you're you're looking at me. I'm looking at you, and I ask you a question, and then I, and then you finish talking, and I'm just staring at you, and you're staring at me, and I'm like, oh gosh, he's waiting for me to say something else. This is uncomfortable. What do I do? I think you know, you just have to get over that stuff and I eventually learn. I, I think I, as a, also as I get more into the podcasting world and get more experience interviewing people, I feel like this kind of thing is going to be less of an issue just because. I'll be quicker on my feet as, you know, coming up with, with new, new things to say or whatever.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure.
1: But I do, I do, I do think it
0: helps, right? I think, I think that people do want to fill that empty space, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if there's like a little bit of attention, right? Like you're interviewing me or I'm, you know, pitching a sale or something like that. Like there is a little bit of attention there. And so it's, I, I think it's a skill. I think, I think. I'm, maybe not, but I feel like a lot of people would have to train themselves or have to remind themselves mentally to be like, silence Silence is actually a useful part of this process, right? Like maybe Evan will tell me something that's a little extra if I just give him that like two and a half second like minutia pause there to give him, you
1: know, okay, yeah, I'll tell you something, you kind of thing. And that, that has definitely happened before in some of the interviews. I've read in uh, sales books before, not that I have any direct experience doing this personally, but I've read in sales books that once you ask for the sale, the best thing you can do is just shut up, right? You, you <laughs> say, you know, would you like to put this on your on your credit card? And or you know, this is Visa or Mastercard, whatever you say, whatever. And then silence, just just shut it down and wait. Don't talk first because you're going to ruin it if you talk first, right? You've lost if you speak first. But yeah, if you're quiet. It, and I think that. uh I think it, the book I read was um, is that negotiation book by Chris Foss. I think. Never
0: Split the Difference.
1: Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Never Split the Difference. And that book talks a lot about that kind of stuff where you yeah. shut up. Don't talk anymore. It's pretty awesome. I almost forgot. Let me ask you the question that I ask every guest on the show, which is, what question am I not asking you that I should be?
0: Yeah. Um, So I guess the question that you should ask me that um, that you haven't asked me is um, if I could go back in time and not make that mistake of trying to chase down commercial real estate with my agency, would I do that again? Um, And I think my answer to that would be no, I think I would still go back and do that, but I would do it for a much shorter, much more compressed time period. I think that you can learn a lot in 90 days if you really put some elbow grease into it you know and so instead of taking you know a long long time like i did and just being i mean hitting your head against the wall is probably like the wrong metaphor that that to me that feels like a programming metaphor but um i was i like i was getting just little drips and drabs of like it might work it might work it might work and i should have just cut it off Mm -hmm. but doing that if i had cut it off at 90 days I i would have had four or five more opportunities to try that same experiment again and again and again. And I think that that's really, if I look back, that's the bummer that I have from that time period is that I didn't get five at-bats. Instead, I just took one to try to really make that one thing work. You know, you'll live and learn that, right?
1: Now, have you become gun-shy of trying other niches? Niches? I have not, no. And in fact, right now, I'm I'm kind of sort
0: of kicking around the idea of Um, of not specializing and not positioning in an industry, but specializing in a skill set within mobile app development. And so looking at the kinds of clients that I'm already working with don't have a, a, a DevOps resource, you know, and so developer operations, DevOps is kind of that bridge between the CTO and the COO and making sure that everything is working making sure that everything gets deployed correctly making sure that the apps get to the app store making sure that bugs get reported and they get discovered and that they get caught and and fixed and all this kind of stuff and so it's a little bit of an infrastructural thing it's a little bit of a managerial thing it's a little bit of an operations and process thing it's a little bit of an engineering thing so like that kind of brings together my 10 years of experience and so yeah, I'm not, I'm not gun shy at all, right? I'm, like I said, I have that appetite for risk. And so I'm, I may be course correcting here or shifting or pivoting or whatever we would call it these days towards something like that.
1: Now, are you thinking of doing something where you insert yourself or one of your team in a company to fulfill that role for them, kind of like a done for you service?
0: Yep, it would It would be managed, right? So mm-hmm. it would be a you know retainer or a monthly reoccurring or something like that. Um, I would try to keep it super, prop, super, low cost um, and highly profitable so that um, I could scale it up a little bit more than you know what we're doing right now which is you know one big project then another big project to, you know getting to work with lots of different clients and lots of different organizations you know for just a fraction of a time here and there um, is kind of the next thing that I see on the horizon for us
1: gotcha do you find that give up I mean you you did say that a lot of your clients, weren't as technically minded right mm-hmm. so do you find that they probably are completely ignorant of what the hell DevOps even is before you get started and that you have to kind of educate them on what this is and why it's important to them
0: yeah I certainly I certainly don't want to have to be selling a vitamin right like I'd mm-hmm. rather be selling a painkiller right um, and so for many of these companies I think the I, I think the way that it is understood is if you pay my team just a little bit of money we can um who, whoever your engineering team is if it's a, if it's a consultant if it's a dev shop if it's offshore if it's in house we can take the janitorial work off of their shoulders right they can do more feature feature shipping they can do more bug fixing and we can do all the stuff that none of those developers want to do anyway right i mean you know both of us have the shared experience of of working with both the apple app store and the google play store and it's miserable Right. No, nobody wants to sit and ship a new, a, a new build, right? Like, no. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's never the most junior guy on the team that's doing it. It's always the the most technical person on the team that's doing it because it's the most error prone. It's the most, whatever. And so being able to be like, Hey, for, you know, a hundred bucks a month or 500 bucks a month, I'm going to give you back three of your, you know, most valuable dev hours. Like there's a potential there for it to be a no brainer. Yeah. I haven't tested it in the marketplace. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Yeah it, it sounds promising definitely you know and you're talking about how it's miserable what's funny is i just had a, a flash memory of you know go, going back to the early apple store when you, know, you probably remember this as well as i do the horrible certificates and getting the stuff to work and provisioning profiles and for anyone that's listening who has no freaking clue what we're talking about here you don't want to know it, it's it's absolutely <laughs> horrible but it used to be to get an app to go in the app store it's like it's a miracle it even would deploy up there and get get on the app store it was so hard to do they've made it so yeah, it was it was, an, it was an
0: act of congress for sure to get it that. Yeah.
1: i mean i i can't tell you how many times that i would spend a day or so just fighting it like it's like well try uninstalling this and try rebooting your computer i mean it was just you know sacrifice a chicken it was it was insane yeah yeah for sure well good luck with your possible new niche, I, I think that it's a great idea. And if you can definitely ex, exploit people's pain and, and just save them that amount of pain for three to 500 bucks a month, you've got yourself a winner. For sure. Cool. Thanks for that. Thanks for the vote of confidence, man. Yeah. And uh, thanks for, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can my listeners go to learn more about you?
0: Yeah. So uh, head over to the website. That's fishhook.com um, to see my terrible website and see that you can, you could probably be as successful as me with a terrible website.
1: (laughs) If Evan can do it, anyone can, right? (laughs) That's right. I think, I think I have maybe
0: five HTML tags on my uh, whole site.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) Very minimalist site. It's quick to load. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Very responsive, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Evan, thank you again. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you and, uh, I'll catch you later.
0: Awesome. Great talking to you,